When I was little, I lived in Hawaii on an army base. I went to a private school off base, and it was really diverse. Pretty much every kid in my class was some mix of Native Hawaiian, Japanese, Filipino, Chinese, or Korean. I was one of the two lighter-skinned kids, and our classmates called us haoles, which is a Hawaiian word for non-Native Hawaiian people, aka white people. Personal identity is so often determined by the way people see you, and that's especially true when you're 11. So I thought of myself as white. After school, I'd come home to the base and play with my friends. One of them was this boy named Josh. He had red hair and freckles, and he was a year older than me. He was kind of the ringleader of our gang of kids, and I was always right there next to him, playing rollerblade hockey, building forts, riding our bikes. But my biggest secret was that I had a crush on Josh. A huge crush. One time, we were sitting in his kitchen drinking chocolate milk, and when he left the room, I kissed my two fingers and placed them on his straw, because that was basically kissing him. I had the feeling he liked me back, mostly because he was pretty mean to me. Then one day, everything changed. We were sitting alone on the playground swings, and the sun was going down. Josh looked at his dangling feet, and he said, No offense or anything, but I kind of want to marry somebody with the same skin color as me. I was so confused. Something didn't make sense. I felt dirty. What was he talking about? I remembered my classmates calling me a howly. I thought I was white. But now Josh is telling me that I'm not? So here's the thing. I always knew that I was half Korean. But this was the first time that I realized that that meant I wasn't white. That moment has stuck with me all these years later. Josh was the first boy I ever liked, and he rejected me in the cruelest way. Early rejections tend to be cruel, but the racial reason for his rejection is what still lingers with me. Now, look, I'm a fairly well-adjusted person. I like my job. I'm in a good relationship. Most of the guys I've dated have been white, and a lot of my friends are white. I consider myself white adjacent, which mostly means that my friends will often forget that I'm not white. But sometimes I remember Josh, and I know that my experiences growing up are different from my white friends. Because mixed-race people often appear racially ambiguous, it's easy to live in between identities. If you don't look like one race or another, it's hard to decide how to align yourself. Often, you come to identify yourself however the world sees you. Looking back on Josh decades later, I realized that these seemingly inconsequential experiences at various points in your life have a lasting effect on the way you see yourself. Because it happened to me. This is Other, Mixed Race in America. I'm your host, Alex Laughlin. In the first episode, we're talking about dating as a mixed race person and how the sometimes volatile mix of race and romance can shape the way you see yourself. Later on, we'll hear a story about a woman who's still haunted by her sexual experiences. But first, let's start with a call from Maureen O'Connor, who has firsthand experience dating while mixed and has some horror stories to prove it. Well, my name's Maureen O'Connor. Um, I write a sex column for New York Magazine, and though my name is Maureen O'Connor, I am half Irish, as is obvious, and half Chinese Filipino from my mother. Is your mom like half Chinese and half Filipino? No, so my mother is ethnically Chinese, but about half of her siblings was born in Manila. And then I guess I just identify as mixed race or maybe half Asian, half white. 
I don't know whether this is about being mixed or not, but um, I think one fear I always have when hooking up and dealing with race is the fear that the white guy you're flirting with might secretly turn out to be an Asian fetishist. And I suppose that can happen with somebody who isn't white, but it's only happened to me with a white guy. And I have this joke with some of my Asian and half Asian girlfriends that were like, the biggest thing you're afraid of, you're going to get to his house and there's going to be like anime everywhere. Or as much as one can enjoy that when you're of any race, there's certain things that just make you think, wait, what am I to you? Why is this appealing to you? And so like, there's a time that I met a guy and, you know, we're flirting. I'm kind of with a group of people and I'm sort of deciding like which guy to go for, put my bets on this one really cute guy. And at the end of the night, we go back to his house. We're having so much fun. And I get into his room and above his bed is a kimono like hanging on the wall. And every wall is like decorated with really sort of cliche Asian stuff and like pan-Asian. And he sees me looking at it. And then instantly we get into the sort of like, so what are you conversation? And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm telling him about my racial background in the context of the racially charged trinkets on his wall. And that's the moment when you're like, oh my God, am I an Asian-y trinket to you? And it's just so creepy. So what did you do? So I did actually hook up with him. We didn't have sex though. And I definitely didn't date him, but we like messed around a little and then I left. Because I was already there and he was still cute, which might be me commodifying him. I don't know. The degree to which you're seeing someone as like a full individual human is always uh, kind of odd in that setting anyways, because if it's just a sort of brief encounter, who knows? So yeah, I don't like being fetishized, but you also sort of can't tell sometimes. That word, fetish, came up a lot in my conversations about dating while mixed. It seems it's something that many mixed people experience at one point or another. So I don't have a foot fetish, but if someone were to say that, the idea here is that the person really is interested in people's feet, but then that person would just like the feet. That's Robert Patterson. He's the chair of the Department of African American Studies at Georgetown University. He also teaches a class on love and sex in American culture. So the idea here is that the feet engender some type of sexual arousal or fascination. In the same way that you can have a foot fetish, you can have a fetish for brown people or mixed people. And a lot of people do. There's something about the unknown, right, and even if that's racially or ethnically informed, that becomes sexualized. And so there's this sort of idea that I can, I'm going to investigate this other by way of the sexual interaction or conquest. And I don't think that that's always conscious necessarily, but that it is an informing context for how people operate in the world. I spoke with a lot of people about their experiences dating while mixed. And I found that there isn't a single story that you can tell that captures the mixed dating experience. But one thing I heard again and again was that when you're a racial minority in a world that sees whiteness as the norm, the little sometimes racist things that people say and do add up in your mind. You learn to live with them and sometimes even accept them as truth. That is exactly what happened to Tabria Lee Noonan. A note to listeners, this next story contains the full N-word in context. Tabri emailed me a few months back in response to a post I wrote on Facebook looking for stories about dating while mixed. 
My mother is black and my dad is white. So growing up, when people asked, I'd always say, oh, I'm African-American and Irish. We're hanging out in her house, and Tabria is swiping through her dating apps. It's been a few months since she's done this, and some of the apps have new features. Soul Swipe, which is like Tinder for black people, now allows you to pick a song to go with your profile. Tabria settles on one pretty quickly. International Players Anthem by Outkast and UGK. Spaceships don't come equipped with rearview mirrors. They I've decided that if I were to ever get married, I'm going to walk out into the reception to UGK, Outcast International Players Anthem. And clearly I will have to have married somebody who will have that same love for that song as I do. One of her earliest dating, or rather not dating, memories came when she was in sixth grade. It happened, as these things often do, at a middle school dance. I remember everybody started like slow dancing because no one would dance during the fast song and then for some reason i plucked up the courage i did it i was like i asked this guy i was like can you, you want to dance and he like laughed in my face and walked away and i was like oh oh god <laughs> but i like i like i played it off and i was like oh it's fine da, 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 da. i think by the time i hit middle school i was like oh no one will ever want me i used to always think it was oh because i'm a bigger girl and plus size, I'm fat, I'm whatever. I was like, can't help but think also a part of it was because of my race. She says she fit in well with her friends, but she always knew she was different because she heard a lot of casually racist comments growing up. Every time someone called me a nigger, every time someone called me a monkey, or would tell me, oh, your dad had jungle fever or something, you know, every single time it was just like, you know, you get so used to that. Like, you just hear it. And the thing is, people don't believe that you hear that all the time as a person. No, I heard that all the time from children, from adults, from everybody. Like, half-breed, mulatto, mutt. Those are the things you get called a lot. It wasn't until high school that someone expressed interest in Tabria. She pulls up his picture on Facebook. Wait, oh, this is an old picture. Because I went to high school with that guy. And I, can, I know that was... That had to have been years ago. She's not Facebook friends with him, so we can only see his profile pictures. He's got an earring in his left ear and a fairly well-groomed goatee. And he's very white. And in a lot of his pictures, he's got his arm around a pretty white girl. I mean, I thought he was, like, kind of cute. Vaguely cute. I don't know. You know what I mean? It was one of those, like, oh, yeah, I guess he's cute. Yeah. What was his name? Could you say his first name? Do I have to say can I get, can I just give him a fake super white name? Like sure. Chad. Chad was a relatively nice guy, and he sat in the back of English class with Tabria. He made her laugh, and he seemed interested in her. I think that's how it started. Like, he would, like, bug me by, like, poking me. And then, like, the poking turned to, like, touching my leg and stuff in class. And, like, I was a teenager, so I was like, oh, someone likes me. Chad had a baby blue Bronco that everyone recognized. I thought it was an ugly car. But he was so proud of his car. I don't remember. I remember that. I do remember that. Did you ride in his car? No. Uh, yes, one time. It was the night before high school graduation. They'd been texting each other and sending messages on MySpace. And they'd made out once. But this was new. Chad picked Tabria up from her cousin's house, and they drove around together before parking at the playground not far from her high school. They got out and walked around in the dark. They ended up in a nearby shed. And then... We were going to, <laughs> like... They had sex. Tabria told him it wasn't her first time, but it was. After they got back into the Bronco, and Tabria pulled out her phone and texted her cousin what had happened. Chad looked over as she was typing. Because I just remember on the car ride back, him being like, just so blatantly being like, you're not going to tell anybody, right? He was the first person to ever express any sort of interest in me, but it was like very clear from the beginning, like, I'm only interested in you to this extent. Like... 
I think you're cuter. I think you're pretty. I don't want to have sex with you, but I don't want to date you. I don't want people to know about it. Tabria told me the entire experience felt like she had been fetishized. If anybody expressed interest in me, I either thought it was fake, like they were playing a joke, or it was like kind of creepy and gross because it felt fetishized because it'd be like, oh, I like the color of your skin. Oh, your hair. And then it was also, oh, I like your body, which to people who can't see me, <laughs> like I'm a plus size, bigger, fat, whatever you want to call it, girl. So it was always like a double fetish grossness that I would tend to experience, especially with white men that expressed interest in me. That one night with Chad has informed the way Tabria sees herself to this day. I think I connected that through my life as how I was to be treated. I was going to be treated as half of whatever by people. And so I anticipated that treatment, I think, in high school and from him. And when you grow up not white in a mostly white area, you just learn to, like, adapt but not in a good way, not in a healthy way, not in a way that left me feeling any stronger or better or happy. It just left me feeling picked apart and pieced apart and very upset. She's still skeptical of most of the messages she gets on these dating apps. Wow. That's what it says, first word. Wow. Well, big brown eyes, a great smile, and I'm sure an even better personality. And I guess we'll see who's funnier. Dorky emoji face. I'm funnier. Anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you, Tabria. I'm Chase. How's your Friday going? I feel so weird. I don't take this seriously. Tabria has a sense of humor about her singleness, but that doesn't mean she doesn't want to be dating or in a relationship. I don't think I had a choice in this. Like, every time it's like, why are you single? And I'm like, I, I have no idea. Like, I mean, I do know, but then at the same time, it's almost, it feels like there was something that like, I somehow have this choice in it where I've always felt like I've had no choice in it. And then people are always like, oh, you gotta work on yourself first and da 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 da. And I'm just like, what does that mean? Like, what do you do? I wanna change my mindset, but I don't know if it's my mindset that influences my situation, but sometimes it, it's like, they both feed into each other. The mindset influences the situation and the situation influences the mindset. I know what she means. You can be going about your life like the totally sane, competent adult you are, and then something happens and bam, you're 15 again. Awkward and self-conscious and incapable of forming complete sentences. You wonder if you're worth love and respect, or if you're just a fraud begging for attention. That's something we all experience. But things get complicated when you factor in race. Well, more complicated definitions of racism think about racism as being conscious and unconscious, right? Intentional, unintentional, covert and overt. And so what's usually and particularly insidious about microaggressions are that they straddle that fence of being unintentional, unconscious, and covert. And so they don't emerge as these blatant examples. And so people detach them from being connected to a history of racism, racist thought. It gives someone a heightened awareness about race, how it may or may not be operating. It also is very emotionally draining. It can make people also question their self-worth uh, and all of the normal psychological responses to trauma and stress. Especially when they have to do with race. They take on a certain weight because they carry a different kind of trauma than, say, being called a nerd. A racial-based microaggression carries a different cultural weight than does perhaps some other generic name um, that's not 
tied to a history of oppression that has implications that mean X, Y, and Z. Tabria still doesn't know why Chad had sex with her in secret. Was it because she was mixed race and exotic looking? Was it because of her body? Was it her personality? Was it just because Chad was a teenage boy? Does it matter? That's how deep the psychological impacts of these microaggressions can run. They add up in your mind. No matter who you are, when you date, the things that people say to you in the past will echo in your head. This is true if you've been called a nerd or fat or if you've had acne. But when those things are racially tinged, tend to echo louder. To be clear, Tabria is doing pretty well. She's finishing up her master's degree in anthropology, and she's a well-adjusted, healthy, living human. She has three roommates who are great friends, and a cat named Finnegan who can jump eight feet in the air if he's chasing a laser pointer. Also, can't believe I didn't tell you this. So, um, there was somebody that I think I started talking to on one of these. I think it was Soul Swipe, um, back in like august and then he recently texted me a couple weeks ago and we've actually been talking pretty regularly his name is clifford i thought his name was scott i don't know why i thought that but yeah no it's nice today we talked about (laughs) what did we talk about today ghost hunting i was like what are you doing he's like watching these ghost stories and i was like we should go to a haunted house he's like no i believe in ghosts i don't feel about tampering with them (laughs) it's for real And I was like, listen, I feel you. I understand. You're not trying to bring all that energy, but I still want to go to a haunted house. So maybe I'll go to a haunted house with me. Last thing I say as I'm leaving Tabria's house is to let me know if she meets up with Clifford. She says she will. Thanks for listening to Other, Mixed Race in America. This podcast was written and produced by me, Alex Laughlin, with editing from Terrence Samuel. You can subscribe to Other, Mixed Race in America on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to Other, Mixed Race in America, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. And if you want to support great storytelling, please subscribe to The Washington Post. We're giving our listeners $100 off for a one-year all-access digital subscription. Just go to wapo.st slash other100. Again, that's wapo.st slash other100. Thank you to JJ Posway for writing our theme music and to Chris Kindred for designing our logo. Other Mixed Race in America is a podcast from The Washington Post. See all our podcasts at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts.